Hi and welcome to Making Sense of It. I'm Emma Kenny. Uh, I'm Pete Smith. So, this is our second podcast together, Mr Smith. It is. I've been contemplating a lot recently about some things that synergetically have come to play because we've obviously been watching that series, The Good Place, mm. which for anyone who doesn't know, it's a Netflix original series and basically it's about these humans who've been killed and ended up in what they thought was the good place, but is actually the bad place. And it's very convoluted, but it's brought some real existential questions in my head, really, because there's some just like moments, even though it's a comedy where you kind of can't help but think, yeah. that's a really poignant piece of information. Oh, yeah. I was saying this last night when I was watching it. Yeah. It seems to have these hidden little messages in it that, um, I mean, I started off firstly thinking that the, the people who wrote the, written the script are, the words that they use, of, you know, the, obviously they're quite intelligent script writers, you know, um, but the little hidden messages that are in there about humans and the way you perceive yeah. life and life after death is you know, it's prevalent throughout the whole, like you said, it's comedy, so you're just there, you just sort of, well, there is moments in the way you're just like, what? Mm. You know. There's what? one line that she said in last night's show, well, one of last night's show, because we had a bit of a box set binge, I'm not going to deny that. No. Sometimes we do that to escape our lives. If, we they, just if, we hadn't watched, watched, if we hadn't watched both series, we'd still be there now. Yeah, we would. If there was even more st episodes, we'd still be in the lounge doing that. But that's an admission we probably shouldn't have made, because that makes us sound like we have no life. Which we really don't actually, really do. We just work and then we sit in the lounge watch box sets. But anyway, one of the lines that she said when she was talking about the inevitability of death with the guy who plays the demon, Ted Danson from Cheers, for anybody who's my era. And she just says when he's kind of having this existential crisis because he's realising that you can end. And even for a demon who can get retired and end up on every atom on a different burning sun, suddenly he's kind of held a mirror to his mortality. Yeah. as opposed to immortality and she says even though you know humans go around and are happy you know we, we all know it's going to happen and we all feel a little bit sad all the time and it just was something that was quite simple and yet kind of mind-blowing for me because I think sometimes people struggle to put the words into sentiments about death and actually we do all feel a little bit sad all of the time so it's like no matter how happy I am in my life and how content I am and how grateful I am, I always have this underlying like recognition of sadness. Mm. And even though that's something that was quite jovially said last night, it had such a deeper meaning because it's that recognition that there is an end. And it's like when we sometimes sit in bed at night and just start talking about it, we have to stop talking about it because it just starts to blow our mind. Yeah, well, we said this last night, didn't we? Yeah. So I say that the deeper you get within these conversations, your brain it sort of strains to understand. Yeah. It's hard to explain, really. I think everybody will realise what I mean when you when you you sit with your friends or your pals and you say, "Let them, oh, we're just getting deep. We like to sit and get deep." But there's only so far you can go with these deep conversations. You at can't the, get at any the after deeper. party. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> all, well, the, all, all those years ago <laughs> at the after parties. <laughs> <laughs> but then it, it you know, leaks over into normal life, isn't it? Instead yeah. of just, uh, talking about it in after parties. Yeah. That age-old human traffic scene, jab <laughs> the huts, you know. But I think there's only there's only so much of a level your brain can go to before yeah. it starts hurting, and you're like, I, I can't compute that this, you know. That we all get murdered in yeah, the end. Yeah, that nature get, murders us. Yeah. <laughs> time is a human construct. We we construct. We made it. We you know time doesn't exist yeah, yeah. because we've 
Sure. We, it's a human thing that we've put in, in place. We created know? the mathematics, yeah. the, the paradigm of time. And there's little messages in that, uh, the good places. There's little ones where he's the void, they call it the void. Where, is, where, does, where, does, where does, there's a girl called Janet, yeah. or a lady called Janet, who looks after, like she, she builds these places in the afterlife, and, and she's the sort of, the helper, and she can give you anything. You can hear that, but that's my little chihuahua who's barking in the background, because we're keeping it real and doing this in the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> but they have, you know, they have these these little. She has these little places, about the place where she's called the void. Yeah, just the limitless void. Yeah, and he, and he, and he always infinity, basically. And Ted Danson pops in these little things about, you know, there, there is no time and there is nothing. It's always been. Yeah. You know, I've I, always been here, always. Yeah, I was listening to a bit of Russell Brand's Under the Skin podcast with Brian Cox, yeah. and mm. massive fan of Brian Cox. One of the reasons I'm a massive fan is that anyone who could have been in any band and got to a number one, and um, things can only get better, and then become an amazing godfather oh of physics. Oh my god, yes, but yeah. yeah, that's Brian Cox. So that blows my mind because he's actually D done it. He's D actually Reem. been, yeah, D. Reem. He's been the rock star, and now he's like the godfather of physics. You know what an incredible, mind-blowing thing. But but that's great balance, isn't it? And that says something about him as a human being. There must be a few people that don't know. Well, I once met Brian, just throwing it in with my kind of like, oh, let's name drop a little bit. But I don't often um, meet people that kind of I'm a bit in awe of, just because like I see humans as equal all the time. You know, I just don't really see celebrities in any other way, shape or form. And I think that's really important for me. Mm. But actually, when I met Brian Cox, I was in the green room at this morning and I literally didn't know what to say because I'm really socially phobic. You know, as you know, I really get panicky about any of those situations, which is ironic for somebody who goes on live TV. But genuinely, like, my anxiety level just goes through the roof when I see somebody like Brian Cox. And I just turned to him and said to him, I actually cannot look at you because you are such an icon. And he just said, well, that's really good because my agent's got it written in my contract that no eye contact must be made by any other person. And I just <laughs> thought, what a cool guy. But I was listening to him and it kind of surprised me because... When I saw that he was appearing on Russell Brand's podcast, I instantly thought it would be to talk about AC. <laughs> <laughs> that's a the dog that's this big. The dog is like this, like a squeaky toy. Um, but they're just doing what dogs do and rolling around the floor being crazy. But yeah, one of the things that struck me was that it would be a conversation about atheism. You know, that he'd be talking about physics and the fact that he considers the Big Bang to probably be just some kind of um, instant that could be explained to some degree. And when Russell posed that question to him, you know, are you an atheist? He actually said no. He said, like, I don't know is what I say. He doesn't have a faith. And when he says faith, he says it in the context of he does not apply to any religion. Mm. And I think that's really important because whilst I would, on a kind of postcode born level, consider myself a christian of some sort bear in mind i'm white yeah. i come from the uk i'm brought up in a predominantly christian environment school-wise but i certainly am not a practicing christian and i'm sure they'd be horrified to have me as one of their congregation although they would be more than willing to have me let me just put that out there but to some degree i don't have a faith affinity mm. i have like a belief in something greater than me i like have a sense yeah. of the universe because i kind of have a sense when i'm working with clients that it's not necessarily this plane of earth that's working 
if that makes sense. So mm. almost like when I'm working with a client, I can feel something stronger, deeper. I always describe it as thicker, but I really mean that. And so I was expecting and anticipating Brian to kind of say that he just felt it was redundant mm. and almost reductive that when you start looking at religion in general, you can disprove it more and more and more, if that makes sense. So as opposed to religion seeming to be an expanding arena, it's a reducing arena because we can prove that the burning bush didn't happen. We can say why those great infestations of locust occurs. You know, there's practical solutions and information yeah. that leads us to be able to make those judgments. But he didn't. And that, it really reassured me because I kind of thought to myself, whilst like, I have a faith in something and a belief that I am part of something bigger, whether that's a consciousness or an energy, whether that means afterlife, I become completely unconscious, but my atoms continue. So there's like in a continual cycle, whether it's in the DNA of my children who reflect who I am, just like I do my parents, you know, there is this continuum for me. But he, having said that, gave a little bit more magic because it was almost like he was saying, listen, we don't know. Yeah. The universe was here. It was always here. It's kind of doing something but then something triggered the bang. So I remember a vicar once saying, we were there actually, you and I were listening to this particular service. Yeah, when you want to get your kids into a church school locally, because it's got smaller numbers and they <laughs> seem to be great with the pastoral care, you go to church for five years. Sorry, God, um, if there is one. But anyway, there was that sense within that, that he said that we don't argue about the big bang. We know it happened, but we just say that the bang was God. And I kind of like love the fact that Brian Cox was saying that because I don't know what it is. You know, when we jovially said a few minutes ago about nature is the biggest murderer, it is. We get murdered. I, know. I mean, like, I know it's not the same as like walking down the street and somebody coming and bludgeoning around you, the head or serial killing you in the most horrendous way. The way you die matters. But none of us want to do it. It's like, it's murder. Yeah. Like, if you said to me, hey, nature, you know, fuck off. You know, I don't want to die. She's like, nah, I'm so killing you. Yeah. I haven't decided which way I'm going to kill you yet. You might get lucky. It might be like you go to sleep one night and you just never wake up. That's like the perfect death. But strong chance it's going to be quite a long, drawn-out process where you lose your bodily functions, become doubly incontinent, probably end up very infirm, maybe in a care home, being served food you don't really like, surrounded by people you don't really know who scare you. That may be the alternative. And you know what the weirdest thing is? Then you've got to go, oh, well, that's quite good, because then I'll have seen all my kids grow up and grow old. Yeah. So you're like in this really awful scenario where you want to go just like that, but then that kind of denounces your ability to have a lot of those experiences that would mean you'd had a long life, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But it's also for the people that love you as well, isn't it? <coughs> that, yeah. That you're around for. It's better, you know, better than 27 tripping over, getting your head stuck in a toilet and drowning. Have you got an example of that? Well, no, but I can think of it as a, quite a, you know, and it hasn't been flushed. Terrible death. Like the opposite train spot in death where you just never got out of the toilet. Yeah, but tripping over, banging your head so you're a bit concussed and you fall in and it's just full of like poo and wee and you just like suffocate and drown in poo and wee. <laughs> it wouldn't be very tasty. No, but that's, it's, 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 the more, it's quite a horrible death. That's what I mean though, nature murders you. 
Mm. And nobody talks about yeah, that. Because like, I am so into nature, you know what I mean? We've got a massive garden because we like nature. We're going to grow vegetables because we love nature. We want to kind of do as little damage to it and all of that. And we're really aware of our carbon footprint and all of that stuff. But I think she's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> she better help me grow all these vegetables because I haven't got a clue. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That might be your death. Me. That might be some kind of like random gardening accident. Who would have known that that could have happened with a rake? Oh, God. I won't buy a rake now then. <laughs> you bought a rake the other day. Yeah, it was a leaf rake. It wasn't a normal rake. It wasn't like a rake like from the Goonies where they stand on it and it goes buttering. Yeah. <laughs> but do you know, how do you feel about death? You know, what's your kind of position? I've been, you know what? I've been up and down with death for um, since I was younger. Mm. One minute, I think, you know, it's, it's, you're not going to know about it. So, or if you do know yeah. about it, yeah. you know, the slow day. Yeah. It's, I'm not scared of death. I'm actually intrigued. I think, <coughs> yeah. To what? It's just that. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to. You know, spend my life. I've got you and, and the boys. You know, and I want to have that fulfilled life. Who doesn't? You know, uh, a, lot, a lot of people probably don't, but you know, it's uh, I do. And but I'm not scared. I think one thing that scares me in a way is maybe if you're going to be alone. Will you be alone? Mm. And I'm the type of person I like to be, you know, I share my experience, obviously, experiences with, with you and, and stuff. But I think it's just the transition mm, from life to death. Skin. What is, yeah, what, you know, people will say, well, it's over in the blink of an eye. Mm. Um, I think that's what scares me the most. Death doesn't scare me, per se, because if there is something, then that's cool. We can, you know, we'll experience that, whatever being we're in, whatever... What if it's like hell? Well, then, you know, like the good place where, you know, you, you, you get tortured no, constantly like on, a, on a daily basis, get your <clears> eyeballs <throat> plucked out and your, your arms. You twist in the twisty machine. Yeah, and you twist the machine, your ball, your balls hammer. You know, anyway, you hammer your people's balls. But I, mean. I know, but when you actually start thinking about it, that's where it becomes a problem because I think a lot of people, and I certainly, when I think about the afterlife, the potential of an afterlife, it's very reassuring, but I never imagined that I would go somewhere terrible. Well, I mean, these... these but but I, that's just, that's what I'm saying, that's a self-reassuring fallacy. Yeah. I haven't got a clue, because let me tell you, if the rule book is the Bible or the Quran or, you know, any of those any of them the Torah you know it really doesn't matter because I'm out mm. you know I'm definitely no, the going to the flames of hell well, I don't know you know it's, it's it's sort of the murderers the the rapists I know but then that's a human that's a human doing that because like if you look at sin mm. and the concept of sin there is no sin that is graver or better sin is yeah. sin so if that's been set out essentially looking at your neighbor's wife and thinking she's a bit hot you're going to hell yeah. Murdering a baby, you're going to hell. Well, that's, you see, what, what, what was that lady? We saw a lady the other day, I can't remember her name specifically, but she's, um, she travels the world and she's, she's like an a, a academic, she's a philosopher, she's, and she, she just... Oh, she's, she's a theologian, she looks at Yeah, yeah she studies religions. the Bible and, and the other religions, yeah. mainly the Bible. Yeah. And she's sat there and... She's an atheist. Yeah, and she's an atheist, but she's studied it to a point where she knows everything about it. And she knows uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, you know. I mean, you know quite a lot about it because you, you, you did that, you studied that. That's just an area of interest. Yeah. And she was fantastic. For her to be an atheist as well, she still, she was still, she believed in, I think, did she believe in spirituality or something afterwards? 
No, she doesn't really believe in anything. She kind of just believes we die. Right. Oh, See, no. that's the... I, that's, I don't that, believe that. No, that's... The, well, no, I know, but then that's what we're talking about when you start that conceptualisation yeah. of your ending. Yeah. Almost that's what you have to start kind of balancing it because it's almost too terrifying at times to imagine that yeah. the skin and bones of the people that you love... Uh, weirdly, the cat's licking the camera. Come nice. Come on, yeah. on, mate. Yeah, the skin and bones of people that you love just decay and then there's nothing yeah. because particularly as a mother you know because I would die happily today like literally if somebody came along and said to me we can ensure that your children live till over 100 years of age when they die it's instant in their sleep they'll be healthy up until that point they'll have lots of lovely mm. children and grandchildren and their lives will be full of love and joy and they really won't have to deal with a lot of pain but for that we have to kill you now I would like take my last breath smiling, you know, yeah, yeah, because yeah. that for me is what my life has been about. There is very few areas of my world that I've ever felt like a success in, yet being a mother, I feel like successful. I don't even feel successful regarding the behaviours I emit, regarding what I think is right for them or wrong for them. I'll let them find their own way, and I would say I'm quite liberal in that context. But when I've known who I was and the individual that I am, genuinely being a mother has been the one that has made me feel reinforced. So my happiness is inextricably connected to theirs. If anything happens to them, I know that mm. my life is screwed to some degree. And anybody who's lost a child will know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I can't even conceptualise that. So I think that death, when I think about it, you know, it gets a little bit less scary when you start conceptualising it in order. So it's like I die way before my kids die. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't want to be an orphan. You know, I'm a woman who's middle-aged and I still have my mum and dad, and I have still have a relatively healthy mum and dad. And I can't believe that in five years they're both 80, yeah. but the fact is they're gonna die. You know, that's gonna happen. And if it happens in order, there'll be quite a, a period of time when I'm not with them. Mm. And for lots of people who are listening to this or watching this, they'll know that because it's their experience and they're already there. But I just can't imagine just not being able to pick up the phone and call my mum. It's even yeah. with losing Pam this year. You know, when you lose your best friend, you completely lose a part of who you are. And the idea of not being able to call my mum and dad, much like I can't call Pam, you know, I still text her phone because there's this whole area of world that we used to have together and collaborate on that nobody else knew. And with my mum and dad, it's like even bigger. Because yeah. like they have been the people who, in my darkest of times, and like everybody, I've had some really horrible times, they've always been there to just go, it'll be okay. It's like they don't even have great advice. Mm. You know, I can't remember my mum or dad ever giving me a piece of advice that was really magnificent and life-changing, apart from when my mum told me when I was a kid, always remember that everything's a one-week wonder. So I apply that to everything, like I never think to myself, this is going to last when I'm sad and everything is going to continue. I always think I can manifest change. And the other thing she used to tell me was, when somebody says no, just find somebody else who says yes. And as you know, that's the way I live my life. You know, I go out of my way to believe that you tell me no, well, will somebody else will find my way forward. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I've, um, for anybody who's listening, that that philosophy that you have about, you know, if someone says no, then just try and find another way forward to it. You know, yeah, always I've, find watched, I've literally watched you do it in situations where I would have just sort of gone, okay, then that's that's it. And I've learned a lot from you to see you that it is just, you know, 
don't take no for an answer when there's something you know is possible. Mm, well, it's a statistical possibility that, and probability that if you get no, at some point you'll get a yes. They just yeah. keep asking. But for me, death, I'm not afraid, like you said, I'm not afraid of the moment, like I was there when Pam died. And even though it was tragic and, and beautiful yeah. all in the same moment, I remember what really struck me about it was it was just so quick. And it wasn't this big deal. I don't mean that losing my best friend wasn't a big deal. That was a massive deal. It's going to yeah. take me a lifetime without her to get over that. If ever I'll get over it, probably never. I expect she'll be waiting for me with a very large gin and tonic. <laughs> you know, and probably 20 men who are shirtless because that would be what Pam would be doing in heaven. Yeah. No disrespect to her partner or anything like that, but just yeah. the fact that she'd be having well, fun. Yeah, I mean, I, when I, I see, I saw your best friend, Pam, uh, the, the day of the we lost yeah, it, yeah, 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 and... Um, and after. Yeah, and I think I saw when she leaves the thing in, in Middlesbrough. Yeah, um, and it was the first time I'd seen anything like that. Mm. I'd seen, I've seen, you know, I've, I'd been around death with some of the family and stuff, but not while it's sort of happening. And it was so fast. I mean, people who've people will be able to understand what I mean when you see someone with cancer when it attacks them and, and takes them within months. You know, so many people in the world have lost people with cancer, but to see that oh, yeah. for me was. And you, young, you, yeah, and young, young, yeah, you, lovely, you, beautiful woman you with everything to, to live for, you know. Yeah, you told me to like prepare to see someone that didn't look like Pam. Literally, a few weeks earlier I'd seen her and it was Pam. And I saw her within three weeks, I think it was, and she was a ghost. She looked old and withered and skeleton-like. And then I think a few days later she came along and saw her and then helped you about bits and bobs. And then that night she, she passed and it was just like, wow. like. To see that happen, it was the first time for me to see someone passing, you know, mm. because that's what she was gradually passing over, wasn't she? Mm. It wasn't like an immediate thing. It no. Was a, no. You know, and, and, you know, the best person to have been there was you. And, 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 and a brilliant partner who was but, amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, a dad. See, you know, the thing is as well, we did it kind of in an old school way, because I don't think it happens very often. I think we sanitise death and we clinicalise death. Mm. And... You know, I wouldn't want to upset anyone by talking about Pam's death because she's one of the most important people that I've ever had in my life. But at the same time, I think what was amazing was that even though she was in great pain and you know there was great tragedy, she also was very clear about what she wanted. She wanted to be at home yeah. and she didn't want people coming in and out and looking after her. She just didn't want that. She wanted a partner, desperately wanted a partner there. And he was amazing that all the way round the clock he was there. And then, you know, actually she didn't really want me there a lot because mm. it was so personal. And then when I look now at the actual death itself, we did it in such an old school way. You know, her dad was there, I was there, Rick, one of our best friends was there, um, and obviously her partner. So we all shared the most intimate moment of somebody's being, which is when they leave this earth. And the other thing that I really feel, and when people ask me about faith, you know, I have a deep faith in something. I don't know what it is. Like I said, I feel it sometimes. Mm, I certainly yeah. feel it when I'm dealing with really bad times. When Pam died, you know, I knew that she was safe. I knew it. I just don't even know why I have that feeling, but I just had that feeling that she was okay and that she was going to be safe and that I'd see her again in some way, shape or form, yeah. whether that's in my dreams or otherwise. You know, she is often in my dreams. But that sense that she was safe really felt that and you know the other thing and i speak to lots of people i've spoken to lots of clients about this and um, all with different feelings all with different belief systems but when you watch somebody who was alive and then they're dead 
almost impossible to describe the change physically. They look like a shell, yeah. like a husk. The life that was there doesn't just take away yeah. their breathing and their physical connection with this world. It takes away something cellular, yeah. almost like it pulls away something cellular and they do not look or feel like yeah, that I, person yeah, anymore. Yeah. I get exactly what you're saying because when I saw Pam, it didn't. It looked like it. It's like a waxwork. Yeah, but it was like it. I think people understand what we mean here. I'm sure that it's, it was like a like a shell, like when a spider sheds its skin, yeah. leaves the old skin behind, and then it's obviously got its new sort yeah. of you know skin or a snake. It was like that. It was like that. I can totally get that. It's hard to describe though. It was like the life had been taken, but not just the life. It was like the whole being was mm. gone, but not like, but like taken, just discarded. It was mm. like a discarded, like bodies are discarded. Yeah, you know? like or not required anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it's a strange one because I always imagine like, <clears throat> you know, you can't help but hang on to this life because this is all that we know. But then at the same time, you look at electrical fields when people have certain kind of scans and you can kind of see people who've been amputated, their legs are still there when you kind of do the electrical fields. Yeah. So you can see that there is still this force around us. And when they look <coughs> at you know the electromagnetics of human beings and the processes of how we connect, you know, our fields are within each other's fields all the time. Mm -hmm. So like we're touching each other even when we're non-physical, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So part of me is starting to have to come to terms with my own morbidity because of the fact that I am going to die mm. and I am halfway through my life. And that's really strange because as a woman, particularly being brought up in a very white patriarchal society where as much as there is some equality for women, we're still way behind. And there is nothing more prevalent and obvious as a middle-aged woman as to how power is in the male domain. And men struggle to see that, not because they're trying to oppress us, because most men these days are definitely not trying to oppress women, but that it's hardwired in our society that as a woman gets to a certain age, you know, an age where she might have created other human beings, mm -hmm. an age where she's honed her skills on empathy and compassion, an age where she's got so much wisdom to share with so many people in so many different ways, that society starts to steal her visibility because everybody's looking at whether her face looks young, everybody looks at her body, is it perfect? And so what happens is you spend your younger years often riddled with insecurities, yeah. worrying about the things that you don't really need to worry about at all. And society congratulates you for that by saying, yes, if your body and face looks great, you have worthwhile abilities. You know, not everyone falls into that. There are amazing people out there who've just bought out of that. But, you know, I can say that certainly when I was younger, I was like riddled with those insecurities. And most of my clients have been riddled with those insecurities. And the time when I feel my most capable, my most able and also useful, I am going to have all of my power to some degree visibility wise removed because i will not be young anymore whereas men can just weather and grow and be distinguished and all the stereotypes and don't get me wrong i will learn to shout louder because that's what i've always done you know don't tell me no i'll find a way but yeah. it becomes harder to get heard 
and there is something strange that everything was about beginnings and it leads to endings but one of the biggest and most powerful endings of youth is the recognition that age is happening and your body is disintegrating and you have to understand that decay but unfortunately instead of society kind of purveying that that gives you so many resources abilities intrinsic skills and qualities that could really help it's almost like, ah, she's a bit old now, so she doesn't look pretty anymore. We're just going to mm. kind of sidetrack her. That's really intolerable for me because I think that there are so many women in the UK and around the world, and it's not the same in certain civilizations where wisdom and age is considered and revered, but certainly in the Western world, you know, yeah, as get, a I woman. Get, yeah, I get that totally. Yeah. I see that, and it's, um, it, it does... It's, I think, with the, the hashtag Me Too campaign and the. Which the people gender. are really victim shaming now, though. You know that hashtag Me Too? Yeah. Okay, you know, some people might not think that a guy touching your knee is that out of order, but it is out of order. It's out of fucking order. Don't yeah. touch somebody's knee unless you're invited. That might not seem like a big thing to you, but it's still not okay. And yes, rape is not the same as somebody doing that. We can distinguish the difference, but don't be pissed off with women who've been invi invited into an arena where essentially their bodies have been owned by men or they've been made to feel coerced into doing things because they won't get the job. That is not okay. No, totally and we just it. blame them. Everyone's like, oh, you know, Liam Neeson, I really like Liam Neeson, but he's come out and gone, oh, well, you know, I'm on the fence about ABC and, you know, all this has all become a witch hunt. It's like, no, Liam, it's not become a witch hunt. What it's become is women finally going, fuck you. Mm. Stop touching us, stop wanting to have sex with us without consent. Stop making us feel bad about owning our bodies. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I mean as, a, as a bloke, I sort no, of... No, I know, but I, you're very, very grown. Oh, well, you know, I just find it like, people say, oh, she dressed provocatively, oh, she dresses like this, like, well, hang on a minute, right, okay. So, but that's her choice, and if... She's dressing because she, if you, if she's got a body for it, and she's dressing like that, it's entirely up to her. Oh, she's not got right? a body for it. Oh, if she's not got a body for it. Yeah, yeah. She, she wants to dress like that. That's entirely up to her. But it's, it's not. It's, it's for her to either feel good or to look good or for what. Or she wants men to look at her. Yeah. Or she wants to attract men. But men need to need to get all of those urges and just just keep hold of them. You yeah. Know what? It's like it's not. I mean, it's not hard to like look at a woman. And think, appreciate yeah, she's really, her. She's really yeah. sexy, or she's really nice. You know what I mean? Oh, oh man's gonna do yeah, a touch of tits, or oh, oh, yeah. you know, it's like it's, I mean, I've been in so many situations. Well, you were a DJ where you had that on the plate. For I've a long had, time. you know, various men and people, girls who've been with me, or not not with me, but as part of a group and stuff like that. So the bars, and the next thing you know, they've had they've had hands literally up the skirts into the knickers, you know, and. Uh, well, I won't go into it, but it's you know it's it's that's this, it's mm. always been there, you know, and it's about time. I do think it's about time, especially I mean, in right in the Hollywood situation, it's it, it's, it's absolutely disgusting, really. When you you know, not just when you think about it, when it is, it is mm. it's absolutely disgusting to know that these men have have said you can have this job. If you and it's like the off, casting you know, couch or, or, forever, and it's not just there. It's in loads of places where those power things play out. Yeah. But you know, looking that's kind of taken us into a different area. But still, it's very resonant of that decay. So even when you get older, that kind of stuff stops because you're not revered anymore. So age even takes yeah. away those kind of things. Not that anybody would wish to invite it. But I do feel like death 
is something that we spend our whole lives trying to avoid. And when you think about Mark Zuckerberg, who's got this foundation, he's trying to eradicate childhood diseases, which obviously I'm completely in favor. No parent deserves to go through the pain of losing a child or even having a sick child. It's just horrible. Mm -hmm. Having been touched by that tiny little bit when Evan was very little, it's enough to know that I am not able to bear that kind of issue. Yeah. So for any parent who's kind of gone through that, I can't imagine that, I get it, I get why Mark Zuckerberg wants to do that. But at the same time, let's not eradicate real disease like for adults, because what that says is we just wanna prolong our life more and more and more because we can't deal with the inevitability of death. Mm. So that inevitability of dying is something that I think we all just need to talk about more. I do think that, yeah. Um, it is a closed off subject, isn't it? You know, and sometimes well, we talk about it with your friends and stuff, but you still, when you start talking about it, most people just say, oh, that's morbid, I don't want to talk about that. Why are you talking about death? Stop talking about dying. You know, you're just like, well, no, it's, everybody needs to talk it's about it. It's the great equaliser. It's so democratic. It takes us all. Yeah, maybe it's just, <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, I'm 40, 43, not yet. Yeah, 43. Yeah. I always forget my age. It's just bizarre. Uh -huh. no, I'm 42. No, I'm not. I'm 43. It's like my highest. I'm 28. Hey, 28. I'm 29. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel it sometimes. <laughs> But I'm starting to feel old. But I think maybe as you get older, you start thinking about it now because you know that you're going to get to that half of life where it's sort of, you get up to the certain age of life and you think, well, I'm halfway through life now. Uh, you know, that society tells we are, mm. that most people die at, and everybody's living a little bit older now, though, aren't they? Uh, with, mm. with the sort of but it feels like a blink of an eye. Like our age just feels like a blink of an eye. Yeah. It's like I know that I say this often to people. I'm like, I'll be 90 soon if I'm lucky enough and then I'll yeah. be dead. And people like laugh, but I'm like, no, I'm really being serious because this life feels like a moment. Yeah. You know, and like as well, there is always this frustration in me and it's, you know, a born frustration to somebody like myself because I just want to do everything that like part of me wants to go and live in New York in a loft apartment like they did in Friends and I need to be 23 for that and it's never gonna happen. But in my head, I wanna live that life. And part of me is just like hoping, this is bizarre, but I'm hoping this is just like an algorithm. So like basically this is just like some computer simulation. Matrix. Where, you know, I get plugged in, and it's a bit like one of the physics arguments is that everything that can be, can be. So therefore, like I've just said about being 23 and living in New York in a loft apartment, and that is a potential when, even though it's going back in time, that one part of myself at that age would have gone and done it, because that was a possibility. It was living out every possibility in every different universe. Yeah, every strand hit another strand. Right, strand. so which freaks me out when I start thinking about it, because like even now, everything could have gone, and we could have had an argument, and you could have left me, and this could have happened, because yeah. that's a possibility, right? Even though Sinkhole could have ended up right, in the garden. Exactly, you know. so all of that kind of and would the possibilities be completely surreal or would it just be like sort of normal? I don't know, because that's just it. When people talk about like alien life and this idea of the afterlife as well, and everyone's like, oh, well, that's a bit unrealistic. I'm like, my mind is blown <laughs> when people text me. Like, my mind is blown. Yeah. Has nobody else thought this is really weird? Well, we were talking about it last night, wasn't it? It's like yeah. talking to each other on a phone, we can see each There's other. There's no wires. And Buck Rogers isn't involved. Yeah, you know it's like, like, nobody's like, everyone's like, well, the afterlife sounds a bit weird. Listen, yeah. I got lost <laughs> the moment that TVs were invented. Do you know what I mean? The moment that you yeah. could watch something on TV and the people weren't in there. Clothes. Do you know, how do people think of these? I, we were talking about it last night and I was saying, I feel so pathetic in the realm of what people have done in this world. Do you know, like, 
Einstein and wow. even people in the modern age, even like people like Zuckerberg, even though like I might not be a massive fan of coding and what he's created, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, yes. it's people have done these legacies and you kind of sit there and as much as I try to do as much good as I can, I just know that it's not going to like change a massive amount of the world. You know, I'm not going to say something or do something or be brave enough to risk my life in a way that potentially could change the world, any of those things. And it just blows my mind that there are people who are kind of creative and can do that. But that's when it feeds back to, I just think I am an avatar at times and that I've got like kind of an okay driver, you know, like probably <laughs> not like having me playing COD as you killed instantly. I've kind of got like a part-time game going on, you know, yeah. they're interested in my life. They kind of want me to be okay. They don't want me to die yet. Do you think you're actually YouTube gamers? <laughs> it could be. So you're actually doing it, I actually could be. On the be. version of YouTube in the other place. That's right, the other place. And they like, do a good job, but they're kind of a little bit like luster. So every time I'm like trying to subliminally go, you're a millions win, you're a millions win. Like I get the four pound ninety, you yeah. know. And it's I like no, it. not that. You're a millions win, you know. And in my head, like I have this vision that that's actually going to happen. They'll have a foundation, you know, and it'll be amazing. But that sense that then the Zuckerbergs, for example, or the Gates, they've got like a really hardcore gamer who's just like on it all the yeah. time. They're like the Rothschilds, they've yeah. all built them. Making, making, making lots of money on the other places, That's YouTube channel. That's what I channel. mean. That's what I mean. <laughs> sense. So I'm like, just like work harder, Avatar, work harder. <laughs> but even that, like that doesn't feel weird because when I look at what's created, I'm like, who really invented the internet? And maybe it's not any of the people that we think. Maybe like, it's just like, ah, oh, there's another level. You know, yeah. and everyone just goes, well, we've all been updated, like and off a, we go. It's, it's, it's like a, an alternative to The Matrix. Not as dark as them. It doesn't sound as dark as The Matrix, that, does it? Well, you see, in The Matrix, I just wouldn't have wanted to wake up. No. I know my level. Like, I know my brain's capacity. I really like the world. Yeah. See, because we, we are privileged, yeah. you know, see, we are lucky. That's where we differ a bit. I would have loved to have woken up. Because yeah, I, I would have loved to have then have been plugged in and then just, I know Kung Fu, you know, and then just plug it in, I know maths. I know, but in. I couldn't handle the fighting. I'm just not a fighter in life. It doesn't matter though, because you've been plugged in, you know it all. No, but the it's men like, in black just keep coming. And not yeah, the funny men in black, you know, the really nasty men in black. Call, he, called, he wasn't called Nemo, was he? <laughs> <laughs> What's he called in it? Yeah. Neo. Ne Neo. Yeah, Neo. Friggin' Nemo comes in, you know what I mean? <laughs> With the one that forgets all the time. Yeah. Where, Where am I? Where am I? He'll, he'll save us. He's going to save the, the world. <gasps> Hello. I know, it's so scary though. Oh, look, I've got a, got a small family oh, thing. Oh, it won't be the same for people who are listening on a podcast, but there's a gorgeous chihuahua in his hand. Just a little side note to this. Hello, Molly Moo. <laughs> A little side note to this, um, when I actually initially thought of chihuahuas, I used to call them chin chihuahuas because my dad used to call them chin chihuahuas. And then when I met my husband and said, chin chihuahuas are cute, he went, what? And I said, chin chihuahuas are cute. And he was like, this doesn't exist. Mm. And uh, it doesn't. So apparently my dad's been lying to me all those years and embarrassing me in several situations that I will never be able to go back to, but because people were forgiving and never reassured me that I was using the wrong language. It's like there's three things at the moment that I know that I always pick you up on. Cooking was the last. Oh no, that's, well, there's another one, that's four. <laughs> <laughs> folk, music. Folk, folk music, which is folk music. 
Tong, which is tongue. Tong. It's tongue. It's not tongue. It is tongue. It's T O U. It's tongue. It's tongue. It's T. It's tongue. Please make comments. It's tongue. Tongue. It's tongue. And also. And you say book. 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 And that and poorly. 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 Where am I from? I don't know. But you say poorly. <laughs> Hello, I'm poorly. Oh, uh, like a kid, lad. Not like. Oh, you do sound not like deep poorly. How'd you say it then? Poorly. You don't know it's that. You go poorly. Poorly and book. I'm gonna go and read a book. Well, it's book. I say isn't book. It? It's not book. It's, I say book. It's book. It's not book. It is B O O book. K at the end book. But it's not B U K. That's book. <laughs> That's book. Book. B U K or B U C K. Book. So we used like oh, when you were a kid. Boo. Boo. Oh yeah, book. <laughs> book. Hey, there we go. I'm folk. It might look like that, but to Silent Hill, it's folk. I know, folk. Yeah. I just can't, it's in my head. And what's the other one? I don't know. I had it a minute ago in my head. You said it. Folk. Chin Chihuahua, that's Ch- the one. Chin Chihuahua, I already yeah. said that one. Yeah. So is that three or it's four? three. But the Googling Wenceslas, that's me, isn't it? No, I think that, see, that's what I think went wrong. See, yeah, yeah. I think I thought it was Good King Wenceslas last yeah. looked out. No, it's not, it's Good King Wenceslas. And then in an argument with my brother, my brother seemed to remember that you had got it wrong. Yeah. And I agreed with him because then that made me right. But then immediately thought, no, that's not the reality. Yeah. I was the one who got it wrong. Yeah. But then I'm still not convinced because I could have got that right. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. Whether, I'm going to give you three and a half for that one. Oh, three and a half. What well, out of five? Was it out of five? I don't know. You're making it up now. How many times have you been wrong, Emma? 35. (laughs) 35 times. Anyway, death. Yes, death. We were talking about death. Isn't it funny, though, because these are the interruptions that create distractions to it. Yeah. We've even distracted ourselves away from the whole area. This is meant to be talking about death, and we've covered everything apart from the actual core. I suppose we have covered it a little bit. But even in life, these are the interruptions that get us from A to B, aren't they? Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. I was talking about the avatar and the fact that I think I've got, I think our avatar people are probably quite, they're quite okay. They're quite nice people. Yeah. They're like, there are some really nasty avatars who just do horrible things like become serial killers. Obviously, this is just a ridiculous conversation that probably has no bearing in reality, but you know, that's how my brain starts to no, process No, you know, things. this is what, it's, it's you know, the, the whole sort of, um, what is it, this is the end, is it, where the back streets, back home. That is such a cool yeah, heaven. That, that's a cool that heaven. That is you a know, cool what? heaven. It's like what you make of it. It's like the film, the pro, the series of you watching The Good Place. Yeah. Which I do recommend people to watch and, and bear, it is and, amazing. And, you know, stick with it after the first yeah, three. Yeah, definitely. It gets, and it is, it is a different take on like. But all of it's like, about self-sacrifice. Yeah, it Even is. like when you said about the end and the end's a fantastic, fantastic film. Seth Rogen is brilliant, really hilarious, and a bit ridiculous, but brilliant. But again, it's the same, it's self-sacrifice, the willingness to sacrifice yourself, and that makes you a good person. And any mother out there will know that, and I'm sure any father, I can only talk from a woman's perspective as a mother, but any mother or father out there will know what it's like when you think about self-sacrifice for your children, you just do it like in an instant. Mm. Like it wouldn't even occur to me, like anything that could protect my children, you just do it happily in an instant. But apart from that, I think that it's quite hard to think about self-sacrifice. And I look at amazing human beings, and one of the things I was doing the other day, I was actually walking past... um, a voluntary sh- volunteer shop asking for volunteers to go and work for Help the Aged, I think it was, you know, selling their stuff in their little shop. And it just kind of struck that chord with me, like I need to start doing more of that stuff. Yeah. You know, like I do a lot of stuff that kind of is for free, 
but I was thinking I wanted to do something a little bit more core, like getting involved with other people. And again, I think that that is all about mortality. Yeah. I think it's all about that sense of not kind of knocking up points. I don't mean that. I just mean that recognition that the more I feel I'm doing something for people, the more I feel that the world's doing something for me. Yeah. It's really strange. It's like that sense that when I do something that I know actually has a bit of meaning. Yeah. You know, whether it's something like therapy at the end of it where the person feels like they're in a bit more of a peaceful perspective. Yeah. Or whether it's just generally like going and doing a soup kitchen or doing something with charity. Mm. It's very self-fulfilling, don't get me wrong. It's not about self-sacrifice at all. It's actually the opposite. It's, it's really self-fulfilling. Well, right. Yeah. But it actually soothes me. Yeah. Like that's one of the things that I constantly feel my soul needs is just like soothing. Yeah. And it, that's what, going back to what I was talking about. But if you can soothe yourself and, and, and self-fulfill by doing something which will help others. Sure. Who are not so fortunate or, you know, have, you know, mental health issues or, you know, yeah. homeless or, you know, it's, it, it, yeah, it does. I think it's in, with, with a lot of people, as you get a little bit older as well, I think things start to start fitting into place with that. You start mm. realising that life isn't about, you know, that much materialistic sort of thing. No. Or, you know, what people think of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I used to have hang-ups on that and worry about that a lot. But I then think I it's think... More, you start sort of, it's more like you start really yeah. getting deep in your own head, don't you? And wanting to do things and you think, oh, 24 hours in a day isn't long enough. I want to get this done. I want to do that. I want to make a difference. Mm. You know, and it's... It's figuring out, maybe it's just in, in time, you figure out what you'd like to do. Mm. And yeah. also, like, just start that self-acceptance period of, of ageing and acknowledging that, you know, there is a beauty to it because it's a blessing to have the option. Mm. And I'm kind of trying to start that journey, but I'm struggling with it. Yeah. You know, I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling that when I look in the mirror, you know, the duvet creases are still on my face at three o'clock in the afternoon because my skin has no elasticity. You know, any woman of my age will know exactly what I mean. I'm struggling with the fact that, you know, I definitely don't look anything like I did 10 years ago and that my body doesn't feel quite the same as it did 10 years ago. And whilst I'm working against that to some degree, there has to be a point where I can just like look in the mirror and accept myself. Mm. Even the simple thing, like I never go out without makeup. I've mm. not gone out without makeup since I was 12 years old. You know, as soon as Patricia Lowe, introduced me to black eyeliner and like changed my life forever you know obviously it started me on the goth trail but forget that it just totally transformed the way i felt about myself because it was like i've got green eyes so black eyeliner makes them stand out and suddenly i went from being really bland looking because i'm really bland without makeup as you know at the end of the day um, yeah I, yeah i am absolutely i know you're amazing yeah. and you love me for the way i am whatever and you don't even see the difference but i think that's just because you've got some kind of issue with some kind of rose-colored spectacles all the time it's fine i'm glad you've got them don't ever take them off but <laughs> there is definitely when i look at myself you know that every day i'm trying to come to terms with the fact that i'm a woman of a certain age and i'm gonna have to get used to that and it's only one way to go and I look at my mum, and my mum's fabulous at 75. I'll never be that fabulous because I really haven't got the time or energy to do what she does, you know, which she's incredible. But there is that sense of how do I get used to it? You know, how do I get used to looking at somebody who feels 20 but looks twice age, you know? How do I get used to it? Mm -hmm. And then how do I get used to it when I'm 60? How do I get used to it? And I know that everybody must have these questions, but there is this feeling sometimes that some people just seem to like do it effortlessly without the fight, you know, and I'm aware of my like fights 
And well, then part of me just wants to go, look, forget it. Just take all your makeup off. Yeah. Just start being authentic. You'll have another two hours a day, you know, because, you know, you can just put on old clothes and sh you know, shove your hair back. It doesn't take me two hours to get ready, obviously. But, you know, that kind of mentality. Mm. Because there's always that period in the morning when I'm, like, having a coffee, thinking, oh, I've got to go ready. You see, but I wouldn't need to. We, we talked about this one in the first podcast, didn't we? It's about people, you think that people are all not thinking the way you are, but most people, most people are. are, especially yeah. of our age, but there is definitely, there's no way that most people our age aren't thinking within no, exactly. age, you know, about growing old and what they're going to be like, and you know, it's, it's... And I don't mind admitting that I'm struggling, no, I mean, I'm not struggling on a like crisis phase level getting older, I'm really not, mm. because if I just got rid of everything outside of this world, like if I could just pocket what I have in my home with my kids and my animals and you, then there's no pressure. Mm -hmm. Like I have no pressure in my life. Like I don't feel like you need me to be any more than I am. I don't feel like I need to look any better than I am. When mm -hmm. I wake up in the morning, I know that you wouldn't really care if I just didn't put any makeup on at all. You don't see that as letting myself go. My kids certainly don't either. So there's no pressure on the internal side of my life, you know. But I do feel pressure on the outside. And it's not even a pressure that anybody's given me. Like when I go on Twitter or when I've got people commenting on my Facebook, you know, even though I do get bad comments, most people are just lovely. You know, most people are just absolutely lovely. Like they see the best in humans. You know, that's one of the things that I think we get wrong. You know, people talk about social media being this horrible place full of bullies. Like I just, yeah, I've had people try and bully me and try and harass me and try and be nasty to me, but they will never outweigh those comments that I get just of people who I kind of know now because yeah. I keep in touch with a lot of my Twitter people and they'll say things that I would never say about myself and they'll do it without any regard for needing anything off me, they'll just do it because they're nice human beings. Yeah. So that kind of tethers me a little bit to the reality of the fact that it doesn't really matter as I get older, there'll be other things that I can grow into and change and, and I've got to acknowledge that age and do it gracefully but at the moment I still feel like a 20 year old you know, a 20 year old woman who wants to do everything and go everywhere and doesn't want to even think about the fact that I'm getting old and I want to have more babies and I'm yeah. too old to have babies and you know, I want to do all these things again and it's really having to make peace with that is a process that we're just beginning I guess and I guess that's one of the reasons why we've been doing this podcast is because like that's what I kind of need to come to terms with in the yeah. next few years you know I need to go and be okay with it yeah it's still worth exploring isn't it I think we can uh, I think this will lead on into so we get a conversation that comes up again in the other yeah, podcasts because uh, it'd be worth get, when we get some of the guests on to chat with them about what they think what they yeah are definitely about, you know so when we've got enough people actually listening to come <laughs> yeah true 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 so so if you want to hear nice guests you need to subscribe, you need to listen, you need to go on YouTube, you need to go on the Swap Podcast and iTunes, yeah. just do all of that and we'll get some guests on. Yeah, why not? I mean, we might get guests on anyway, but they'll just be family. Um, so <laughs> that'll be a quick way of uh, making sure that in the end we do have some other people. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for listening. Um, please tune in again and remember to subscribe. Please subscribe because I think that's important that people do that. I don't know, I'm useless with technology. And you can um, find us on social media as well at Emma Kenny TV and at Dusted Media. So give us a follow there. We're pretty nice and friendly and often chat back to you. Take care.